0: know me. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes from Thanksgiving, I'd love to like kind of go into your world too. I'm like, no, what was your favorite scene or was something that happened? Mine was probably towards the end of our time. So we had gotten a few more gifts. And so we we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we do the flight back? Like, can she hold the stuffy and like the bag that we need her to carry because the bag restrictions, like could, does everyone have like an arm bag ratio situation? And I could tell like, Zoe wanted to really carry, like, these stuffed animals. So, you know, one of the in-laws got a great idea. Oh, we can just mail. We can just mail them back. And I saw, like, Zoe's, like, eyes of consternation. She's worried about this plan. Like, does she trust USPS? Do any of us trust USPS? Um, Maybe she wasn't thinking that. So we're wondering, like, what's going to happen? So I start going over to her. I'm like, okay, so this is what might happen. You know, what do you think about that? Because, you know, if you brought them, you know, they could get lost or maybe dirty, there could be some you know, negative consequences then. But I like, just want to talk to you about this, you know, it's your choice. I see uh, my parents, my uh, parents-in-law, they're Puerto Rican, and they start talking in Spanish and looking at me. Now, I know uh, un poquito of Spanish, but you don't really need to know another language to you know, like, they're talking about me right now. And I was like, okay, well, try and pick up what they're saying oh, why is he negotiating with a six-year-old? Like, there's a different way this should go. And like, in desperation, that may or may not have marked my entire time there, probably not, right? I was like, it's love and logic parenting, like, come on! Like, they're like, no, we don't know what that is. Like, we're, this is a different style of parenting. Gentle parenting is not known for, you know, certain generations, certain ethnic backgrounds. Um, this is some of what it looks like for me to be at home. But, if you zoom out a little bit, I think about my time in that household and what's changed. I think about going there the first time, dating Tina, going there knowing I was going to ask for a blessing to marry Tina. That's a different story for a different day. Uh, Going the first time as husband and wife, uh, then pregnant, kids, all that. And I see there's been a much bigger story of my engagement with her family than just these little moments that we still kind of have maybe some clashes or at least funny moments. There's a bigger story there when you widen it out, when you zoom it out. I wonder for you, if you think about your Thanksgiving, if you notice something similar, a way that your life maybe isn't the same, a way that someone in your family has grown, a way that you've grown, a way that something's changed in the world. Sometimes we can widen things out and see a bigger picture or a bigger story. That's certainly true in our own story with God. When we zoom out, we see so much more. And one of the questions is, Do we do that? How do we do that? So much of our lives can be filled with worries or frets, real cost challenges, and it's harder to zoom out of our own narrative to see a bigger picture. In some ways, that's what we've been trying to do really since the fall at ECV, is to show that God is at work in our stories, one of the first series we did this fall, that Jesus is at work in our stories, and when we tell them to one another, we actually beat back the work of the enemy. We start a new community, one that can share stories with each other, can encourage one another, can see God's work in our lives, and can see God is powerful and good. He is already, but we see it through our stories. We continued with the series Empowered, saying it's not just like we tell stories to one another over a campfire, we actually get to be part of the story through the work of the Holy Spirit. We get to pray powerfully, for healing. We get to pray powerfully to hear from God and to encourage people. We get to see God free people from darkness. And even in our series, we saw that. We saw people get physically healed. We saw people spoken to in ways that were encouraging, even though we didn't know them. We saw God free people from some things. It wasn't like we were just talking about it. We were doing it. It was a story where we were empowered, and we saw that through the Holy Spirit. Now we're entering a different time in the church calendar. We're not just as ECV doing this, but it's the capital C Church, we're moving on to Advent. Advent is a word that means the coming or the arrival. It's looking both at the anticipation and the original story of people coming to be excited about the birth of Jesus. They're anticipating this baby Jesus coming into the world. But also, it means that we're looking forward, we're expecting the second coming of Jesus. I don't know if you knew that, but Advent's actually both things like remembering and celebrating this hopeful anticipation about baby Jesus. But also that story and us being reminded of it is, I think, supposed to stir something in us that we too will be expectant. We too will be watchful. We too will be wondering, what does it mean that Jesus doesn't just come as a baby in a manger, but also comes on a white horse through the heavens in the second coming? What does that mean for us? Does that stir something inside of us? This Advent, we're talking about what it means that we're expecting a bigger story. We're expecting something. Obviously, we're expecting Christmas, we're expecting some uh, familiar family rhythms, maybe in your own family, maybe in our church. But I think there's something deeper that we can expect too. That's God's work in this season. And I, I wanna push, especially today, God's work as we hope for something maybe we don't usually think about in this season which is what it means that Jesus is, you know, coming through the Holy Spirit now, but also sweeping us up into this narrative as he will come again. Doing this expectation gives us hope. We'll talk about that today. It also gives us assurance, decentering doubt and placing doubt in conversation with God versus having us be people who are bringing those doubts really to no one else, just struggling with them ourselves. And it also humbles us because we see the bigger picture. We see our smallness. And smallness isn't necessarily bad. Sometimes we think it is, maybe especially around these parts, where we've got a big university that we can also feel in the shadow of. But What if smallness is a gift? A gift of perspective. A gift of the pressure being off. A gift of being with others, not being alone with our greatness. Hope assurance, and humility. We'll talk about all three of these things, and then we'll celebrate Christmas in some uh, ways, like the contemplative service, our Christmas Eve service. Uh, we'll, We'll do that together as we bring in this season, and really as we let God bring the hope of the season, the peace of the season, the joy of the season, the love of the season into us. So let's pray. God, would you be with us? Would you be with us in hope, Would you be with us even as we struggle, even as we doubt? Would you help us bring that to you? Would you be with us as you humble us through your story, the one that is bigger than our own? Holy Spirit, would you come? Come now. With your presence. Fill us. Fill us up. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hope is for dark times. Hope is for dark times. I think about it uh, like seeing a sliver of light when your room and the curtains aren't fully closed, but there's just one little beam of light peeking out. Hope is like that. This thing that is, uh, you know, there, The room isn't dark, but you see just a little bit of light poking through. I mean, Lindsay, if you wanna help us see this, I think we've got a candle here. I think this can work. There'll still be a screen. There'll probably still be some lights, but let's just see together. We'll turn the lights back on, don't worry. But as you see, there's some light still breaking through. There's something that's still, like, able to emerge from our story. There's something we can still see by, have confidence in, have trust in. But it's pretty small. It's pretty weak. I could blow it out. Don't worry, I won't. But it could be lit again. Sometimes our hope looks like this, just a sliver of light. But I think part of the biblical promise of hope is that that's more than enough to let more of the light in. You can turn the lights back on, Lindsay, thank you. Claps for Lindsay. Woo! So one of the questions is, in general in life, what gives you hope? And it's okay to answer honestly here. I know we're in a church, but you don't have to just scream out, Jesus! Like, it's okay. Like, what gives you hope? What gives you some confidence? Is it something that provides security for you? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's the stability of your job. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's friendships you have, relationships, your partner. All these things can provide hope. But I think in everything I just named, you've probably experienced before loss or fracture or challenge. So we often hope in something that we know by our experience in our own lives has faded or been hard or gone away or been shot, right? And we know that could happen. But often that gives us a little bit of stability or hope And one of the questions of the season is, is there a more central hope for us to depend on? Is there a more grounding hope? And I think that's one of the main questions of faith. What is there to hope in beyond the present moment? And that's a challenging question. Again, we can feel like it's an obvious one. But if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times what we hope in is something in the here and now that's accessible, that's right here with us. Because we can depend on it. And so a question in faith is, why would we depend on something else? Why would we take a risk to even dislodge some of our current things we could hope in, to hope for something way out there? <clears throat> is there a sliver of light that's not dependent on present circumstances, but instead that's dependent on something greater, stronger, and sturdier? And the, the answer to that, the response to that, that we see in a lot of scripture is a challenging one. Because hope in a lot of scripture, truly just means another word. It means wait. If you're unsettled, you, you really should be. Because there is hope, but a lot of what we see, this hope, it's these two Hebrew words, yahal, to wait for, which is really just about waiting in time, and then kava, which is to wait in tension, coming from ropes and cords, like making things tense. And then almost that waiting for tension is, it's snapping, right? like it breaking, so you wait in tension. These words aren't always what we want to get in the Christmas season, where it's like, no, hope is like that feeling inside, or like that Christmas magic. It's not exactly what we got in the Hebrew, right? It's actually just waiting. But I think the difference is, who are you waiting on, and why are you waiting? The difference in a biblical hope is, who are you waiting on and why are you waiting? It's not Christmas magic. It's not Santa, sorry. It's not just the holidays, but it's something that is put inside of you that gives you a reason to hope and a reason to wait. And you can see, especially if you are a Bible reader, you can see the story has a progression where I think there's more things that you would wait on as you're seeing how God has moved in history than maybe a person. Because sometimes, as we read the scriptures, God doesn't seem that close to some people. God seems pretty far. But there's something they can wait on, a promise. And as it gets closer and closer to Jesus, and certainly after Jesus, it's not a promise anymore. It's a person. But why are you waiting, and who are you waiting on? There's this great little line from the Bible Project that says this, God's past faithfulness, this is kind of like about hope, God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future That's part of why we can wait. We're waiting with hope that's possible because of God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You can see why storytelling is important here, why storytelling about what the Holy Spirit is doing is important here, but also why just knowing the story you're in is important and how big it is. Again, this is hard, because there's something that's more accessible probably to hope in or to trust in, like money like what you'll do right after this with the money you have, right? But there's something, I think, that can ground us even deeper, which is knowing God's past faithfulness and having that motivate hope for your future. Today we'll look at some prophecy that came out of unsteady times. (coughs) It's a time in the history of Israel where they're wondering, which way are we going to go? Things have felt disturbing and dark. And there are words from an ancient prophet named Isaiah. You might ask, how is this Isaiah connected to Advent, the story of Jesus coming or the story of Jesus coming back? But I think Isaiah is part of God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. And other messages we have will be about other people in the story of God that have been part of God's past faithfulness that can hopefully motivate more of the future and our future. In this time of Isaiah, the people of God, again, were struggling. They were consistently coming under judgment from others, and even judgment from God as they worshiped other gods, as they practiced idolatry, and crucially, this comes up again and again in Isaiah as they forget the poor, as they forget the orphan, as they forget the widow. And yet, Isaiah doesn't just predict uh, their inevitable bad character, like, I'm a prophet, I'm Isaiah, you guys are struggling. Guess what's gonna happen more? You're gonna struggle more. And more, and more. That's not what Isaiah does as a prophet. Remember, we learned a little bit about prophecy. There's an encouraging aspect to it, a building up. Isaiah also talks all the time about hope. There's judgment, but there's hope. There's bad news, but there's hope. There's bad circumstances you're in, but there's hope. And hope is real, not as Christmas magic, but as something that you can engage in based on who you're waiting on based on what that person has done. We're going to look at three passages from Isaiah today. There are three passages that talk about hope for connection, hope for godly authority, and hope to make things right. I think we can look at these three things, and maybe one is more abstract to you or your story right now, but in a lot of these things, I see this stuff would make things better for everyone. Having connection, intimacy, love, a sense that there's uh, someone that's with us, Godly authority, a sense that there's someone who would make uh, a, a real good difference, someone who could lead us into the future, and then also making things right, making your own situation or someone else's better. I think if those things were present in our lives, and the lives of our friends or neighbors, this would be good. I think a lot of times we don't experience that, and we lose hope, we lose trust. We can see that all these prophecies that Isaiah has can bolster our hope. Here's the first one. Comes from Isaiah 7, chapter 7, verse 14. It's one that's used a lot in this season. Then Isaiah said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel." this young woman will bear a son, will name him Emmanuel. This connects to the gospel story, the account of Jesus being born as there's this young woman, Mary, who is told that she'll have a son and his name shall be Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us, that there's connection, there's hope for fresh relationship with god and i think so many of our problems or struggles can come from the fact that we don't know if god is here and if god is with us and when we get a sense that there's hope that god is things change for us i think one of the most encouraging things we can do is yes see that in our own lives but also hear of other people's stories there's an awesome story from our community uh, that happened a few years ago like right around the time the pandemic was happening We were uh, at the church doing something called Alpha, which is uh, a course that's helping people know more about Jesus, ask good questions about Jesus. The people that we're kind of trying to invite to that are people that don't know God or maybe they want to strengthen their relationship with God. We're going to be doing that in February next year if you're excited for that or want to help out with that or if you're someone that's interested in it. And so someone came named Ty who was actually really interested in God, had a lot of questions about God, um, and she loved Alpha. Like it was great. She like every week, like look forward to it. And I said, I, "We're gonna get better at doing alpha." I did the busted alpha. You're supposed to have like a meal and you know all these things. I just did like dessert. So we just like got ice cream. And at a certain point, we stopped doing like new ice cream. We had a tub that was big enough, so we just like reached into like the old tub. Some people stopped eating ice cream at the end. I don't know why, but maybe it's different. I, we're gonna have better, better food this time. Trust, we will. But the ice cream was good. And she always asks great, great questions. But one thing that came up for her time and time again was, "Hey, this stuff seems good." But there's a question I have. I I don't know how to forgive my father, my earthly father. And I feel like this stuff is all about forgiveness. And so I'm like, kind of like at the door now. I don't know if I can enter in. And then we kept having good alphas and then alpha ended and it was over and that was it. And then a pandemic started. And we heard from our friend that things weren't going as well, that there was some real struggle, there's challenge. I think a lot of you in the early pandemic can relate to that. And then we got a different kind of report. It was that something happened, that at a time where things seemed like they were the worst, Ty just knelt down like next to her bed. I don't know if she knew that was a practice that like some people do in the church, kneeling is a spiritual practice, but she knelt down and just cried out to God and said, God, would you help me? I think a lot of us in the early pandemic felt like we were kind of out of some options and she just asked for God's help. And she felt like something happened in her body where she felt God's love and God's connection with her and instantly she felt like I can love this God you know what else happened at the same time she felt like she could forgive her father not from a place of saying he was right about something or feeling like everything was answered but just having some strength some like muscle some faith to do that and she did and she got baptized in our community There's something about connection, even that story, that can speak to the fact that connection is possible. God being with us is possible. God being with us, even when we say, well, no, there's a problem. I can't forgive. God being with us, even when we have a problem, nope, God won't accept me. Even when we have a problem, it's like, nope, this is just too tough. Even when we extend an obstacle to God, it seems like God being with us pushes that obstacle back time and time and time again. And there's hope for connection because God is a God with us, interested in us, mindful of us, mindful of our questions. That's what Alpha is based on, like asking questions, curious questions, and also mindful of the ways we say, no, I don't think so. God's right there with us and he's right there with Ty. Is there a way that you need God to be with you in this season? And that's what you need hope for some of those personal questions, God's here for you in that. There's also a bigger part to this child, more than just giving connection to individuals. We see that God's doing something even more, even bigger through this child that Isaiah keeps talking about. This is just uh, a few chapters later. I think this is in 9. It says, for a child has been born for us. A son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onwards and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is part of why the Christmas story is so weird, right? Like, a child will do this. And then you read the Gospels, like, oh, it's not just a child, it's, it's a baby. It's not just a baby, it's like, this baby's just been born, like in a manger, to two poor parents who are of an oppressed class. And that child's supposed to do all of this? Yes, right? This is why hope's involved, not just our like, sober reality. This is what we have to hope in. It's about the coming of a kingdom, in a way that's more at hand because we can see and we can know it. This child's part of a newly revealed godly authority. Our waiting and longing for this kind of authority can shape our lives today. Again, especially when we're not just waiting for that person, but we're looking at our world and saying, God, what are you doing? What's going on? How can we get this established and upheld justice with righteousness? seems like we're far from that. Maybe part of it is hoping, praying, and waiting. Doesn't seem like the most uh, engaged justice strategy. But what if part of us reimagining the world that God has for us is hoping, waiting, praying, trusting who God is as this little child who will become king of kings. What does it mean to hope for godly authority? Again, another, I didn't realize I was gonna do this, but another kind of in the pandemic story, um, like many people, like many churches in May of 2020, when George Floyd was killed, there was a sense of what does anyone do? What do we do to react, to respond? So many people wanted to do something. I hope, I wish, right, that will would still be in existence. I'm not sure if it is. But there was a moment where people wanted to know. And I remember just being a part of this church and also, you know, a part of larger bodies. Where I was like, wait, we're like flat footed. Like we can't really move. Like people just didn't have what they needed to do something. And actually I'm really grateful. I think at this church, we had a few tools of lament, of crying out to God, and of asking this question that became something of like a rallying cry for us, of we have to reimagine authority.